What's up, guys? How you doing? Hello. I didn't Good. realize uh, I was part of this, so I'm trying to get mentally caught up. Um, so yeah, uh, we are here with a, a guest to hang out with us during this podcast. Oh, is that what this is? Okay. Is this a pod? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I assume this was part of the podcast, but also sure. part of the interview. Well, yeah, I mean, well, you know, we like have... That. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's. I guess we should have figured that out before. We probably should have, because um, all of the interviews are just you, which is why I thought I wasn't going to be part of it. But here oh. we are with this podcast now, and that makes sense too. Yeah, so we're just going to roll great. with this, and then we'll put it somewhere, basically. Yes. <laughs> so true story, guys. I uh, did not do any research whatsoever as to what sh- what I should expect. So whatever happens, I'm cool with it. Cool. That's great. Sweet. Whatever well, we're doing. It- if, if there's anything after the fact that you realize you said that you didn't want to say, feel free to let us know and we'll cut it out. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get canceled by saying, like, baseball's stupid and terrible, and, you know, and then that's my job. I, well, I mean, I say that most episodes because I hate baseball, so it's yeah. fine. <laughs> I haven't been canceled yet. It's actually funny how much we've talked about baseball. Oh, really? In the previous... Because yeah. I'm, I'm a baseball fan. Okay. Big baseball fan. My, um, I have family members who are very involved with baseball. Who Who's your team? Um... So my team is the Cubs. Okay. You're with the Rangers, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I cover the Rangers for the Athletic. But I also grew gotcha. up watching the Rangers. So it's this weird thing where I've had to like sort of take my fandom and just set it up on the shelf for a little while. And So so my uncle was the pitching coach for the Rangers in 11 and 10 and 11. Wait. Um, uh, 10. Uh, Mike Maddox. Yeah, that's your uncle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so or he's like, I say uncle because it's easier to say that. He's it's more your dad's he, best friend. It's, 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 <laughs> no, no, he actually is blood related. Or no, sorry, oh, he's, okay. sorry, he's married into the family, okay. but he's mm. not like we see him often enough to where it's harder to say like brothers, uncles, sisters, yeah, cousins, yeah. whatever. Yeah. So I just say uncle. Um, yeah, we got some. Of oh wait, is that hard for you now that you you are like rooting for the Cubs, but you've got family on the Cardinals coaching stuff? <laughs> no, no, it's not like okay. that. Well, it's weird too because Greg mm-hmm. Maddox is, was on the Cubs. Oh yeah. So and now and now Mike is currently on the Cardinals. So it's like uh, it's weird. Yeah, baseball is this weird, tiny little family of people too. Like fans are very, very tribal, and baseball players, for the most part, like with very rare exception, unless there's been like bad blood or a beef. Most of them are just like whatever, whoever yeah. my employee is. Yeah, that's who I'm loyal to. We're good, and and that's kind of how it is, right? And and the the Cardinals were the one that beat the Rangers in eleven, and Mike was on that team when they lost. So it's like mm-hmm. I'm, I can't imagine what kind of like headspace he's in about that. I mean, I'm sure there's something there, right? But anyways, I mean, Lance Lynn is pitching for the Rangers now, so he was he okay. was on that team. That's insane. Yeah, um, but yeah. Uh, other than uh, baseball uh, writer and enthusiast, uh, Levi is also a v- super talented musician, singer, person. Eh. I, dude. Okay, hold on. You're so on, on the. We're gonna put like a link to your stuff it's in the a little bit of a bottom of this. You're uh, <laughs> so I because you're. I think that your stuff actually like. I will cut out all self-deprecation. <laughs> <laughs> your your stuff is like super freaking cool because. You're basically a music foley artist, like <laughs> from what I'm like looking at it, because like you're, you're resampling stuff w- with your music as you're doing it, yeah. but you're also like doing like a lot of, like I was watching the recording of you with the two microphones and you like split them apart to make them stereo more stereo. Is that what you did? Um, kind of. Uh, it was just that one of so the way I would do it is the I would run one microphone through my loop pedal so that I could record myself, sort of singing a melody, and then I could come back later and record audio like a harmony over it. Um, But the problem was that like, that was all going through the same loop pedal as my guitar because I would loop my guitar in there as well. And the EQ that I would use to make my guitar sound good 
didn't really make my voice sound the best. And so it was sort of like a slightly less quality sound. And plus I needed to be able to, in other songs, like record the guitar, turn off that looping microphone and just sing through a regular mic so that whatever I was singing right. didn't go into the loop pedal. And so, um, so yeah, I just had two mics that one of them was going straight to the system so that I could have good sound quality for my voice. Um, and then also so that I didn't always have to be recording my voice when I was recording the guitar. And then the other one yeah. went, you know, I could turn on and off. The other one went through the, the loop pedal so that when I wanted to record to loop my vocals, That's, I could. I, I was just listening through YouTube speakers, so it might not have like come through as mm -hmm. well as it could have. Or sorry, I threw my computer speakers on YouTube. Um, from what it looked like, it looked like you like got like, you like split them apart and were trying to make like a stereo pair. Yeah. I, and I was like, I don't know if that would even work. I, I technically could do that, but if I did, the problem yeah. would be that um, my guitar would be panned either hard left or hard right. So makes sense. Um, yeah. Damn. Well, that's cool, man. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about like your like, I mean, a, a more formal introduction of yourself than me saying you do uh, cool stuff? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. How, how far back do we want to go on this? Uh, um, yeah. Get, tell us about when you got started. Like, what what got you interested in music in the first place? Uh, I was. Uh, I used to play drums. So when I was in like junior high and high school, I played, I played drums in like the marching band. I didn't know how to really, I mean, I took piano lessons when I was a kid, but that was more out of just like obligation than it was that I genuinely cared. Um, you know, kids in junior high and high school, like you need something to channel your aggression into. And I played a lot of sports, <laughs> um, but drums were great because it was just basically banging on stuff. And dude, I was, I was the most chill kid in the world because I could, I, I started with drums too, yeah. and I I could just get it all out of my system, and then like, hey, yep, I'm good. How's it going, mom and dad? But the problem was when <laughs> I, I played like, violin, and my my channeling was much more expensive in that one. <laughs> <laughs> you just go through so many violins. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> He's the Pete Townsend of violins. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I would love I would love to see that on stage sometime. A violinist just finish a solo and smash their violin. Oh, I'll get yellow card on the phone. Let them know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, so anyway, I, um, I did that for a while. When I started to join bands, I like got, re I, like, I'd be in front of this crowd and, and I wanted to like, Oh, Hey, pay attention to me. Like, and I, I wanted to interact with the crowd and tell jokes and kind of get them to laugh. But you know, n nobody can hear you when you lean over and like try and tell a joke into your snare drum microphone. And like, it's all muffly and the EQ is bad. And everyone's just like, shut up. Why are you talking? You're the drummer. And the lead singer would turn around and be like, shut up. Why are you talking? You're the drummer. <laughs> and so I decided if I was going to do that, then I should learn to play guitar and sing. And I was like, well, if I'm going to learn to play guitar and sing, I should also write my own songs so that I'm not just in cover bands my whole life. And I've always kind of like, I've enjoyed writing. It makes sense. I used to be a singer songwriter. Now I write about baseball, but yeah. And I, and I just have always had this real desire to be original and not to copy people. And that I don't always do that successfully. Um, you know, I can listen back now to my music from years ago and go, okay, well, there was, you took a little from here and a little from there. It was not entirely original, but. Um, sure. But I just didn't want to cover songs my whole life. I didn't want to be in a cover band. I wanted to write original stuff. And so that's kind of where it all began. Um, when I moved to England in 2005, um, I had broken up with my old band and just started 
writing my own songs and recording them on like a crappy karaoke mic in the attic of an old church where I was working. And uh, that's where the first EP came from. Uh, let's see. Cool. Yeah. Mm. That that originality comment is really interesting, actually. What What is your definition of being like purely original? Because I feel like you can't right. be. The, the older I get, the more I realize you, you, you really can't. Um, You're going to be influenced mm-hmm. from something. Absolutely. But like at the very base level, like unless you're making up your own language, then you're <laughs> on some level you are taking from something else. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've often considered the concept of like pure originality to probably be something in the negative because the thing that ties people to stuff that they like is relatability. And if you get too far outside of it. Yeah, it becomes esoteric and nobody gets it. Exactly. Then you're yeah. just, yeah. You're like, cool, I can make up a language and speak through my nose instead of my <laughs> mouth, but like, who, who's your audience there and who's going to get it? And sometimes that stuff is is visionary, right? Like at some point, somebody did something wildly original and nobody got it except a select few that were like, I'm interested in this. I'm going to study it until I figure out what's going on. And, oh, that's a better idea. And they follow that. I mean, the, the entire industrial revolution, we've got technology, like you showed a laptop computer to somebody from 1450, like they would burn you at the stake for being a witch. So originality can exist, but like pure originality can't. Yeah, no. Well, yeah, the problem is now like uh, something I heard explained once as in in terms of like technology is like all the low hanging fruit of discovery has pretty much been picked. And so it's like, yeah, pure originality from the perspective of, oh, there's this thing called gravity. Like that's step one. And now we're so far along that everything happens in very granular ways yeah yeah and and a lot of those were it was all incremental along Mm -hmm. the way right like somebody didn't just invent a laptop in 1800 right like first there was electricity and then there were the telephone wires and even those were inspirations and influences from other things we all had to go through dial-up first absolutely (laughs) (laughs) yes um i was gonna make the dial-up sound and then i'd Uh, i'll throw it in and pretend it was you (laughs) <laughs> there we go. That's better, yeah. yeah. So, so what I mean by being original is just being like making it a point to not copy somebody. Okay. So that makes sense. When I was writing music, if I would, like, I had to stop, and I know this is not a great name to reference in the year of our Lord 2019, <laughs> but like, if I would listen to Ryan Adams' records when I was recording, I would, I would start doing that like whiny Ryan Adams voice, and like my, I would start playing guitar like him kind of and I'm like I can't I can't listen to him anymore like I have to put away my Ryan Adams records so that I am not copying him yeah and it was almost like you know people that um when they're hanging around a British person and then by the end of the night like they're saying things like this and they've not even meant to start doing it but they're doing yeah. it right and it's it's the weirdest thing isn't it so <laughs> you're like dude you're from Maine. like <laughs> That legitimately <laughs> happens to me if I sit and watch Top Gear for like four My, straight hours. And I've, I'm from right. Iowa. Like, what do I have? I have nothing. <laughs> right. Exactly. So it, it was kind of like that, but for music. Like, I would have to put away other things and really focus on like, well, what do I want this to sound like? And I might listen to like The National and go, wow, that drum sound is great. I don't want to copy it exactly. I don't want to make a, a The National record. Yeah. Actually, I would love to make a record that was as good as anything they've ever done, but... <laughs> But I don't want to copy them, but I could take bits and pieces from here and there, if that makes sense. So I, I've actually put out like three albums. Um, I mm-hmm. like They were all video game music focused. Um, mm-hmm. And I totally get where you're coming from in, the ter- in terms of like, 
you hear something and you're inspired by it, mm-hmm. but you, you want to be away from it so you can be like internalize your emotions towards the what you're creating. Yeah. What's going through your head and like, do you have to have any preparation for when you do music in that sense? Or when you approach a song or like when you sit down to start writing? I mean, I think that preparation is all in your in in your like work that you've done ahead of time, right? So I think it's possible to copy for the sake of just like learning and understanding, maybe? To to learn, yeah. So like, oh, okay, you know, let's go back to the idea of Ryan Adams. Like, if I learn to play this song directly and cover it, like just in practice at my house. Oh, okay, I see what he did there with that chord progression. I see why that chord progression works and the feeling that it elicits, right? Like I get Yeah. Now I know how to do that. Now if I want a song to feel like that and dredge up those same emotions, what what's my unique road to get to that emotion? I can't take that mm. road, but but having taken that road and finished up at this location, okay, now I know where that location is. Let's find an alternate route there. That's my mm. route there. That's good. I love that. that. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's so cool. That's something that I think a lot of artists struggle with, and that's something that I used to struggle with a lot. Um, and I, what I would do is I would isolate myself from music because I would be able to, I would reference music sometimes just for like production quality and such. And I already knew the music that I really loved to listen to and what I liked. So I had like that goal of what I enjoyed. So I guess that like that back and it's like a back and forth a little bit almost. Like if you're listening or playing uh, Ryan Adams songs and you're kind of exploring his creative space and his mindset, you're almost like you're almost like reading a diary of mm-hmm. his music thoughts a little bit in that sense, or like re-breaking it down. But then when it was time for me to write, I had to put that away. Right, yeah, you had to take a break and like, yeah, it's a whole dynamic contrast, kind of black, white, back and forth kind of, yeah. Because if you're still listening to that GPS telling you which route to take to get there, then you're just, you're just gonna copy that same route again. Like you have to turn it off and Go, all right, I and know where that mistakes. is. I kind of know what the side streets look yeah. like. Yeah, what, make my own mistakes on the way to get there. And then in doing so, I'm going to come up with a different way to get there that is my own, that it, like I, my own signature. That's so cool. Wow, that's, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really good way to look at it. And what happened to me sometimes was like, I would be trying to get back to this place by taking my own route and then I would kind of get lost and end up somewhere else and go, oh, well, now, that, now this is kind of truly original. Like this doesn't, sound anything at all like where I was trying to go, but I kind of like where I ended up. Like this was an accident. And I think that is another way of, uh, I think a lot of times originality and creativity is just leaning into your mistakes and going, well, maybe just because it was a mistake, does that make it bad? Like it might be good. This might oh, yeah. finding trusted people to go, hey, is this? Yeah, it, it might just be a deviation from a plan at that point. Yeah, and like, hey, I kind of think this is good. I mean, how many times do you accidentally hit like the wrong fret on a guitar and it's like, oh. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, I hit the wrong string, but that still sounded yeah. good and better. Did not and... expect to hear that note, and I kind of like it. Yeah. yeah. Do yeah. you have any examples of something you have that? Oh my gosh. Got existed that it's way. It's been so long. Um, I know. So yeah, I actually wanted to ask about that though as well. Like, are you still doing music at all, or is is it? Um, where are you at with all that? So I didn't touch my guitar. Let's see. The last time I played was. I did a, a wedding in August of 2015 um, in Mexico. And when we came back, I just kind of expected that I was going to start playing. It was about time for me to start writing and recording a new album and it just didn't come back. And then I realized like, oh, I haven't touched my guitar in months. And then eventually that turned into, oh, I'm taking this full-time baseball writing gig 
to, oh, my guitar is going in storage. And then I didn't take it back out until September of 2019. So almost exactly four years that I just didn't play, didn't touch my guitar. Wow. And uh, like a pure cold turkey, like I quit, I'm out. When did you when did you do that Bellingham show that last time that you were here as far as I know? That, was that also 15? Early 15, I think. Yeah, it must have been June. May have been. Maybe even earlier than that. Right? It was during baseball I remember driving season. back and it was like 11, it was like 11 p.m. and there was still light. So it was like mm -hmm. equinox time roughly. Yeah. Because because originally our plan was at the end of that year living in the RV in 2014, we were going to move to Seattle. And so I booked some shows after my European tour that happened in like February. I booked some shows in the Seattle area and then like very last minute, my wife Heather was offered a job in Texas and we hmm. took it and decided to stay here, but I already had those shows booked. So I flew up and played those shows, but that was okay. early 15. So I have a, I have a question to backtrack back to your, uh, thing you were saying about like your originality and your creativity. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of people in the music industry who shun money away. Mm -hmm. Um, and they like are afraid to like have business skills cause they don't want money to poison them or something like right. that. Uh, do you have a, an opinion on that? And do you have a personal stance on how you approach like money or do you create to create or, or is it something that like, cause, cause for me, like I do blip sounds full time. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to do anything else in the world. It's, I love doing it, but it is money focused and it would be better if it wasn't money focused. But at the same time, it's like, I have to make money some way. Right. I would rather make money doing the thing that I love the most, I mm -hmm. think. That way I can kind of like enjoy my everyday and then have other things that I can do creatively outside of that. Yeah. But I'm curious on your thoughts on all of that. I actually can draw more on my experience in writing about baseball on this than I can even for my music one. Because with my music, like, I don't know why, maybe I just wasn't as good as I thought, but I didn't really ever have a whole lot of opportunities to sell out. Like, it's not like a, a bunch of labels were like, you know, if you will just make us a pop record, we really like everything else you're doing. I was probably too old by the time I really fully got started. Like I was 26 when I did the tour with Imogen Heap. I was already past my pop star days. And so, uh, but in writing about baseball, like when I first started, I didn't have anything to lose and I didn't know what I was doing. And I knew that I wasn't going to be an expert at like breaking down the analytics of blah, 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 better than the guys that have been doing this their whole life. And so I leaned into my writing skills and I was like, I'm just gonna make the most engaging game stories that I can write. And sometimes these are gonna get really weird and esoteric and sometimes it's gonna be hard to get and there's gonna be imagery of like dragons maybe sometime. Or I think at one point, uh, two players got injured at the same time. And I mentioned something about the PA announcer um, smoking a cigarette and cursing the crowd in French while the big screen played in Chien Andalou and like just really weird stuff. <laughs> and, but nobody else around the Texas Rangers organization was writing about baseball in that way. There just was there. I was just the weirdest dude. Has anybody ever written about baseball in that way? I mean, yeah, there are, there are some really good creative baseball writers that I, that right. I think are, are really good. Um, so I just built my audience that way. And then as opportunities began, you know, now I'm working for The Athletic, which is like a legitimate journalist. Like this is, it's a oh, legit yeah. thing and going, okay, I'm going to have to smooth some of my edges because 
I don't want to like wreck their reputation, but also they, they hired me for a reason. Right. And so there are times I'm going to still get weird sometimes because my audience that is subscribing to the athletic to read the stories that I'm writing, they're going to be disappointed if all of a sudden I'm giving this dry, bland, like Shinzu Chu had a debridement on his shoulder and da, 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 da. Like I will try to always at least throw in a couple of things that I know that none of the other beats would put into a story. And so all that to say, like, do what you love to do and do it really well. And if somebody offers you money to do that, fantastic. Yeah. But if it becomes about chasing money, I, I think, and this is for me, I'm not going to try and make it prescriptive for you, but I think it would begin to lose some of that spark of creativity and lose some of, of the enjoyment that you got from doing it. And then it just becomes a job. And then instead of having a job that you do for work, but this thing that you love to do because you love it, now you've mashed those together and you just have a job that you really don't enjoy. And now you also don't have that hobby that you used to love. You just, the, the job ate your hobby and swallowed it. And now you've just got a job. Yeah. So I think that's where I land. Like it's fine to get paid for doing what you love and it's fine to even round off some of the rough edges and, and polish it up, but don't let money be such the motivating factor that you let it swallow what you loved about doing it in the first place. Yeah, that makes sense. On that, I asked you the other day if you'd ever made sounds for a game that you didn't consider to be that much fun to play. Me, yes. And I think this really goes along with that argument where it's like, now that would be a situation where you're doing it simply for money and you're not even enjoying yourself. I I disagree. To a de- uh, You're right, yes, there is like money involved, but um, there is also the opportunity to have a new experience and learn from something. That's fair. And I, yeah, and I think that it is possible to do that without ever digging that perspective out of it and just being able to look at it that way is really helpful in general that's true oh i I did that there were times in music where they were like hey we need a song for the soundtrack and we're gonna pay x amount of dollars like and i would go i I, yeah i'll try and i would write this like pop song and none of them ever got picked up they weren't that good but just it was interesting to go oh okay so writing a pop song is actually harder than it looks and this is learning how this process works as opposed to my usual process of like get real sad and then let that come out, you know. <laughs> I love that. That's the best. <laughs> I was going to ask you a part of this. I don't, it's so irrelevant to the current thread of conversation, but like, I don't know, you've talked in little bits and pieces before shows and stuff over the years about like where the sadness in the music comes from. Mm-hmm. And I don't suspect that you, I don't know, I don't know what your life looks like. It seems pretty all right. And so, like, do you still have sadness? There's a thing that happens in musicians where they eventually outgrow the stuff that makes their music so good. Oh. And then it's just, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yes and no. I get you. Yes and no. Like, am I still sad about the breakup when I was 24 years old? Like, no. Uh, am, I, am I still sad about those things? No. But I'm still the same person that allowed myself to really, like, try to break down. Like, okay, why did this happen? Why am I sad about it? Let's put some thought into it. Try to really, like package it and make it nice and neat it's just it's Mm -hmm. not aimed at a 24 year old breakup anymore it's aimed at like okay so we've elected a sociopath and half of the (laughs) nation is following him blindly and we've forgotten what facts mean and oh my gosh i grew up in church and now so many people from the church are just blindly following this guy even though Mm. he's an antithesis to everything that they taught me uh well that's going to go ahead and rattle your foundation quite a bit and so it's it's still there. It's just aimed in different places. It I'm just a, changes, yeah, it changes shape a little bit. Yeah, and I'm a dad now, and so like looking at, ang- I've got a kid in fifth grade. My son, my oldest son, is in fifth grade now, and like looking at that angst and going, 
oh, 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 I know what's coming next for you. How do I prepare you for this? And, um, I don't know if it's a sadness anymore. Um, it's a heaviness, maybe? Yeah, you're right. The sort of existentialism that comes with being a living person. Yeah, and paying attention. And not knowing what the future is. That makes sense. Because I think of songs like Dark Clay, where that's like that's not specifically related to mm-hmm. any type of event, or is it just sort of like an internal like psychological view of self? Yeah, no, I think that's still pretty relevant, yeah. Yeah, I get that. Okay, cool. I, I feel like Chris is the one that's like trying to keep it on track for like sound and audio and stuff, and I'm like, baseball! <laughs> well, that's the thing, is like, I couldn't possibly have less to say about baseball other than how fantastic Brockmire is, but that's not like relevant to what you do, I guess. Ah, Brockmire is really good. I need to see it Isn't still. it so good? I keep telling him to watch it, he's not watching It's great. I kind of like the reason I'm attaching to the baseball stuff in this conversation is because it sounds like um, a lot of the people that are going to be listening to this are people that are trying to do what you did with baseball, at least. Well, yeah, the mindset stuff's really relevant. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Regardless of the form it takes. um, Because I I think that it's really interesting because I think that the pure like creativity mindset that you had from music is very incredibly valuable for any budding artist of any sort. But then also it's like, okay, but... There are going to be people that come here to, they, they want to make money with what they're doing and they want to be successful and they want to be able to, like what you said about standing out and like with your writing and stuff, like that's, that is beyond important in my opinion. Um, and I, and I was curious if you did that on purpose, like did, did you, were you trying to get a job with writing or were you just doing it because you loved it or? Um, at the time I was kind of just, I wasn't sure what I was doing cause I had done music I mean, full time for almost 10 years. And I thought that's what I was always going to do. And then all of a sudden the song stopped coming and I just didn't have it anymore. It just sort of went away. And so baseball started, I was sort of intermittently blogging in 2015, just as a way to kind of like do something besides day drink. And (laughs) like, I just, I would get up and make myself a mojito and like I planted a garden and I grew my hair out to like my shoulders. It was a real weird year for me. And I just, I I had this dumb. Was that the year of the man bun? Oh yeah, for sure. And I I mean, I kept it through 2016. (laughs) Um, And I had this weird like hat that my wife bought for a trip, a girl's trip to Mexico. And I'm like, that's mine now. I'm, that's my eccentric weirdo hat. There are pictures that exist online of me in this hat. And, um, and so I just needed something to do. And that's where it started. And then in 2016, you know, it had been about a year and this job came open and it was basically intern wages. Like I made, I think $10,000 that first year and I was working like 80 hours a week. It was stupid, but it was like, I kind of, I, if music's not coming back, I'm 36 years old. Like I got to come up with something because I got to stay alive for the next 35 to 40 years. (laughs) And yes, I'm like, all right, let's try this. And maybe it'll turn into something. Uh, that will pay the bills. If it doesn't, then, hey, I get to spend a year hanging out covering a baseball team. You know, we'll see. And um, so, yeah, there was always in the back of my mind, like, yeah, I'll take this crappy pay and a lot of work because if I do really good, then I feel like I kind of might have a knack for this and it might be something that catches on. Um, But it was also like, I didn't feel the pressure of like, I have to do this or my kids are going to starve because Heather had a job. I mean, I had the privilege of like a a safety net a little bit. And I think that allowed me to just get as weird as I wanted because if they fired me, I'm like, whatever. Okay. You're not going to pay me $10,000 this year. Okay. Well, sucks to be you. Time to find it in that couch. Right. (laughs) Not that $10,000 is anything to sneeze at, but like over the course of a year, it's not that much as far as pay. Like I can 
For I sure. could go get a job at fast food and make that much in a year. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it afforded me the freedom. But like this wasn't a big golden egg. Yeah. This was a like crappy furball egg. And if I did really <laughs> well with it, then maybe it would turn into a golden egg someday. And um, and so that afforded me, I think, the the freedom to not be reckless, but right. be less cautious with being myself. I was like, I'll just go be myself. Yeah, throw around some of the risk people talk about when they say, yeah. you know, about the things that are hard in life. But also I was 36 and I just spent 10 years standing up in front of audiences and it's about nerve wracking, like singing songs about my most inner thoughts and my psyche and my existential crises. Like, let me just go up in front of a room of strangers and put that out all on the line and hope that they'll Mm. clap about it like what why <laughs> yes <laughs> but that that does sort of give you a bit of a thick skin so like like at that i, I knew who i was at that point my my <laughs> self-worth was not based <laughs> on <laughs> I, i've just never heard it like explained that way it makes like a professional musician to see like such a crazy person it's just it's like so stupid just like you, you're literally like if you go up on stage and you're like Hi, I'm a crazy person. Please clap. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Exactly. And then if people are not paying attention, you're like, excuse me. Yeah. I'm trying to tell you about the darkest <laughs> parts of my life. Would you please have some respect and listen? Just like the premeditative expectation to be like, oh, I, yeah, I'm doing a yeah. show. No, what you're really saying is I'm going to say crazy things and expect people to clap. It's, it's literally, it's like, yeah, it's like. Expect. This is a therapy session. Have some respect. It's like a homeless person who comes up to you and tells you their whole life story, and the only difference is they know how to play guitar. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then you're like, can you imagine if you were inventing this right now? If you were inventing the concept of a show. And the crowd is like, "Uh, not to be disrespectful, but what are we supposed to do at the end of this? And and your answer is not like cry or come hug me. Your answer is like, take this hand and just bang them together. Yeah, bang them together. Like a little monkey. That's the proper response. <laughs> That's amazing. Ugh. Anyway. So good. All of that to say, I was not afraid to go do this because like I had just spent the last 10 years walking a tightrope and living the life of an insane person. And so like if this didn't work out, whatever, I was going to go do something else and still be me yeah. at whatever else it was that I, That's super cool. that I jumped into. So yeah, I think, and, and that too is, is something that people don't always have the privilege of doing. Like if I had done this at 23, I would have been terrified because I'd be walking in like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm capable of. I know what I kind of like to do, but I don't know if it has any yeah. value. And I like that you just kind of did stuff and it worked. Like you just like, yeah, I feel like it seems like you like poked around with a stick and like it, it did and it worked. Yeah. Which I think, I think a lot of people don't do that though. I think a lot of people just like, it's so important sit back and analyze so much and they don't do anything. And it's like, okay, well you're just going to get anxiety and stress out over this stuff. And then you're going to get nowhere with it. Oh, the best thing you can do is go fail. Yeah. 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 That's exactly. I was just going to say, it's so hard to do things like that when you think that when you're terrified of not doing it. Yeah. Because what happens when you fail is you learn that like, okay, well, I'm not dead. Yep. Yes. Oh my God. Oh. Yep. If you are dead, well, you know, they you got bigger problems. But but I'm not dead. I made it through. I failed, and now I get to wake up the next morning and try it again. And maybe I'm gonna fail at it again. That that's the weird thing. And like, it, it sounds over dramatic to say that, but I literally say that to myself anytime I'm about, I'm about to do something scary. I ask myself if it's gonna kill me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We like Chris and I went up on stage for uh, to. We, we had like six, seven hundred people in the audience actually to do a presentation for sound design. It's significant. And like now it's not a big deal, but like the first one, it's like, 
all right, I'm going to go up on stage and talk to like 700 people. And it's like, and that, yeah, that was definitely my first time with anything like that. And, but it's like, you're, you're, you think to yourself, it's, it's like terrifying and you're scared to do it. But at the same time, that's such a small bubble of like, mm -hmm. of like your own internal thoughts. But if you like, yeah. if you are able to like step outside of it and just be like, what, what happens after this though? Right. Like if you're, if you're able to think past what happens after this, then all of a sudden everything becomes a lot more comforting. Yeah. Yeah. If if I bomb and and I had the mm -hmm. good fortune of growing up when not everyone was pointing a camera at you at all times, and so maybe the the answer to this question is slightly different now. But I remember thinking like, if I bomb, if I suck at this, then who's going to remember it in five years? Anybody? I mean, the worst case scenario here is that I'm really forgettable. So why don't I take a risk? And if it sucks. Eh, whatever. But if it's good, ooh, if it's good. There, yeah. I played a I played a show at the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville once, which is like this big, like everybody wants to play the Bluebird. If you're a singer-songwriter, the Bluebird is I think I've heard the of that place. Actually, yeah. And I went and everyone was just sort of a tepid response from the audience. They're all there. They bought their tickets months in advance, not knowing who they're going to see, hoping that it's like the ghost of Johnny Cash or somebody. And <laughs> they get me and I'm playing these songs that are not country music that are like, <laughs> they don't really have a hook. There's these mewling, sad waste of a song. And they're just like being polite and like, uh. and I remember getting halfway through and we were, it was a round. So I would do a song and then you know, there were four of us and we would go around each of us playing a song. And I remember about four songs in going F this, like nobody's going to remember me. Everyone is bored with this. And so I just, when it was my turn, I stood up and I put my guitar on the floor and I stood on my chair and I sang a song a cappella with no guitar, no nothing, like just singing this crazy song about when I die, I want you to turn my ashes into a tree and then you can be reincarnated into a bird and come fly around on my branches. And like, it's kind of pretty imagery, but it's not what you're used to hearing from country music. Uh, it was not like when I die, make me a truck and then girl come get my bag and get the good stuff, right? Like a bottle of my gasoline so, to tear into a bottle of booze. Right. So, uh, <laughs> so I did it and I was expecting like, I was expecting the crowd to be like, whoa, that was like nothing we've ever seen. Yeah. Some real dead poet society stuff. Like yeah. And instead I finished and it was just like a smattering of like polite, like, like people that were there to go to Opry Mills, just turning to their significant other, being like, I think he might be on drugs, honey. <laughs> and it was a failure. It failed, right? Dang. But it, it wasn't the right audience. Yeah, no, 100%. But when I did it, I was emboldened to go, okay, that's the worst. That's as bad as it can go. It, they, they hated it. I, was ne I never played the Bluebird again. I was never invited back. And, but yeah. it was so exhilarating to take that risk that I took it again later in front of a crowd of people that were my people and got a standing ovation. Nice. And it, and when nice. I was doing it that time, it was like, this is the crowd that I really want to impress. These are my people. And I wasn't, I wasn't afraid, you know? And did you never would have gotten that experience? I think that's something, an experience like that where you get to compare your, your biggest failure and then like something's getting a standing ovation. That's like, that's night and day for like the kind of thing, like the kind of response you get. And you don't get that by sitting at home right? and writing songs to yourself. And like, you, at least in terms of like being able to 
putting yourself out there and experiencing stuff. And and there's a middle ground too, because like if you're still, if you haven't done things and you don't know and you're inexperienced, you're like, everything is in theory. And you're like, I don't know. I think this is good, but I don't know how people re react. I think I'm good at this, but I haven't really gotten any honest feedback. I, you know, it's all nerves. And like, it's, it's like the first time you ever get in a fist fight. I've only been in one. Um, the moment before that first punch is thrown, you're like, Am I as good at this as I think I am? Because I this could get real bad. You're afraid, you know? And then now after you do it once, you're like, okay, I know either I can defend myself to a certain level or like, okay, there was my ceiling. I just got beaten up. <laughs> but like, there's that, there's that green sense of not knowing anything. And then there's cynicism of like, you've been through everything. You're a grizzled old veteran. And it's really difficult to get that emotion, like to tap down deep enough to find any fresh oil. And in between is this beautiful like middle ground where you, it's everything is still accessible emotionally you're still sort of this fountain of of originality or creativity like whatever you're capable of it's still there but also you're like eh, if this fails like big freaking deal like who cares yeah. really and it's kind of this weird mashup of the two and you only get there i think you only get to that level of cynicism by going out and doing it as to how to maintain that level of like innocence or wonder when cynicism starts to try to take over, I'm, I'm not sure where that balance is. Were you always somebody that wanted to just go out there and do it? Or did you ever have a, a point where you were afraid and you were a recluse to share your creativity or your work or anything um, like that? Kind of both. I was always afraid, not always. Early on, I was afraid to do it. Um, but I hated the idea of fear ever being something that prevented me from doing something. Like caution is fine. Like don't jump off a cliff because, hey, I'm, I built this parachute out of my pillowcase. Like you should have some common sense and caution. But, but just fear or nerves, like I had them, but my hatred for them was stronger than them. And so okay. there's a little bit of spite. And then also like just growing up, I think I got put in front of people to whether it be seeing or tell jokes or my dad was a preacher and so I kind of like spent some time on stage and that intoxicating like I did something and then people cheered or reacted to it and I was like oh oh I love this I think some of that was always there that I just wanted to like perform um, okay. even when I was embarrassed even when I was like I know this isn't good enough to be performing yet I know that this is not quite there yet but right. I'm going to try it and it was almost like practicing in front of people was more valuable than practicing at home because you just don't know how it's going to come off in front of people until you try it. Yeah, because I've always wanted to do stand-up, mm -hmm. but it's one of those things where yeah, I I don't know. I, I'm too, I feel like I'm genuinely good enough to do it and too worried about that being proven wrong to ever actually go do it. And it's this really awful internal struggle. So this is... I've actually been thinking about doing stand-up lately three for three i have that's been on my list of new year's resolutions for years <laughs> cool good let's stuff do, good let's stuff. get we'll, together we'll, and do group stand-up we'll be like the scarf down brothers, but not at all <laughs> <laughs> and but also in like the three different corners of the of the u.s <laughs> yeah that's true yeah i i thought about how i would do stand-up and i was like i was rocking my brain for like a couple months like how would i how would i do it like i and then i realized that my approach to doing stand-up would actually be to just be myself. Because at the end of the day, I know that I have a lot of people in my life that mm -hmm. that will enjoy what I do. And I also enjoy what I say or things like that. And if I just, I, I know I'm just like a generally like weird and quirky guy. And like, I'll just 
even just like me telling a story here can be funny in its own right, even when I'm not trying to be funny. Chris, you're the same way. Levi, you're the same way. I, I can tell just by like how you talk. Mm. It's just like, oh, it's not necessarily about like being funny. It might be more about like appreciating who that person is as a personality in that sense. That's how I'm looking at stand-up now. And I, oh, yeah. and I think that's a more enjoyable approach in my book. I feel like if I were to write a joke, I would really evaluate now, am I trying too hard for this? And is this actually coming from me? Those are the two things I'd really ask myself. And if you try too hard, it's like, uh, like it, it hurts more if it fails as well. Yeah. I had a similar situation. I, I officiated my sister's wedding a couple of years ago, and I had never done anything like that before, and I wrote this whole like custom original you know words for the whole business and then i got up there and it was so specifically written that it became a, ma- a matter of like having to memorize it and deliver it appropriately whereas if i had just gotten up there to wing it it probably would have been smoother i don't know if it would have been quite as funny or as appropriate just in terms of the way that i had structured the actual words but i ended up having to just like read it off my phone Dude, and that seemed like I, a con instead of a pro did i tell you about my first speaking gig i did for blip sounds at pack south in 2018 uh i don't know um why don't you tell the ladies and gentlemen i <laughs> and i'll tell you if i remember it <laughs> no well you weren't you weren't there but like i well, yes i know that but um, i don't know if i know this story oh gotcha um the well so i i wrote out a whole script for it oh i wrote everything oh. out it was like five or six pages Ooh. um i started reading and you can tell in my voice there's a recording of it online on, on twitch i'm like i'm looking down at my paper I'm fumbling over my words a little bit. After the first like two sentences, I said, "Nope." I'm, and then I just never went looked back at the paper, and I just like, I and I remembered the outline of the script, and I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna do this in this way." And I do, and now I don't prepare for any speeches anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I I found it similar when I was, and I did a lot of talking between songs when I was doing music and it was, I enjoyed that almost as much as playing the songs. Yeah. Like I wanted people to be really sad during the songs, but because I knew the songs were sad, like I wanted them to be really, uh, like I wanted to make them laugh in between. Yeah. And, and even though some of the stories were the same, so it could have seemed like rote memorization or whatever. Like, I think there's a balance to be had because if you're just winging it, uh, it's super exhilarating because you don't know what's coming next. But it's also, there's no safety net. And you can just find yourself like... <laughs> that's true. Uh, that's true. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's all I got. Uh, yeah. And I that's, you know, if I were to ever do stand-up comedy, like when I was doing music, I had a guitar. So if I ever hit that panic moment, I could just be like, bail out, start a song. Here we go. Um, with speaking, and I think stand-up comedy probably goes into that, like you don't have that bailout. And so I think it's good to have something prepared right but like you said once it becomes about memorization you're not focused on entertaining you're not focused on communicating you're not focused on that interaction you're focused on the words and and that was and that was the thing with when i wrote it out i wasn't being myself at that point i wasn't a person i was somebody i was a voice Mm -hmm. a mindless voice that was just reading from a paper yeah and that's something that i am so in awe of is when uh, stand-up comedians, and I, I think I would be terrible at this, when somebody heckles them in the audience and they are just so quick with their response. Like, they are in the moment, and that's spontaneous, and maybe they've got a couple lined up, but sometimes it's very specific to that person. Yeah. And you're like, 
okay, so this is not just about memorizing your no. bit and you go up and you do the parts you have. Like you have to be in the moment and adapt to change. And yeah. Yeah. And you also have to be in a position where the slightest negative attack on you isn't going to shut you down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that that part seems like it would be really tough for me, at least, you know, at first before having it ever happen. It's like I don't have the opportunity to to rebut this this heckle because I'm too busy. Like, oh, my God, he's right. You know. <laughs> But furthermore, then you have somebody like Dane Cook, who he didn't get to Dave Chappelle level, but he was like, he was really, really famous. And yeah, one of the few like stadium comedians. Yeah, yeah. He was he was one of the very few who was able to get to that point. And he I think that got to him a little bit because he like was he was selling out these stadiums and like, I'm pretty sure he would like run down the aisles, like high fiving people and stuff. And it's like. How do you get to that point of selling out, but also stay relatable as a comedian at that point? Yeah, that feels like a good opportunity as a comedian. Like, you're, if you're in a situation like that, you're just going to get up there and play the hits. Like, Pretty you much. just The weirdest thing in the world, I've seen this happen with Seinfeld a couple of times live, is where people will request a joke. Yeah. And that's the strangest thing ever. <laughs> Dude, it's like, it depends on who I'm introducing them to. But, like, if I, if I have a friend who is funny... And they're like a comedian and they like do stand up or they, they're interested in something like that. And I know somebody else who would appreciate that. I'll usually say, oh, she's getting into stand up comedy or like uh, something like that. And I, I have a very specific example with a friend of mine. Um, but uh, if I said that to the wrong person, <laughs> they might be like, oh, tell me a joke. It's like, get the f out of here. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's weird. get out. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Get out. <laughs> it's like that Mitch Hedberg joke. Like, you're funny. Can you write? <laughs> you like food? Can you farm? It's like, okay, sing me a song. It's like, no, get out. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> no. Say something funny, wise guy. Oh, I've had people ask me that in like, I'll be at like a, a restaurant and the waitress or, you know, maybe some denizen of the bar will be like, oh, so you sing me something. I'm like, no. <laughs> play, monkey, play. Oh, you're a bartender, huh? Make me a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you your computer program? Cool. Could you code me something real quick? Just to show me how that works? You're a plumber. Dude, every time I go back to my parents' house to because I play piano and my dad, anytime there's family over, my dad will just be like, Hey, hey Ryan, watch Yeah, play that play that song. And I'm just like, Really? Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not 1912 anymore. Like we don't just gather around the piano after dinner. <laughs> <laughs> We have we have better things to do now. And all of a sudden, like, if I say yes or even, like, get close to saying yes or anything like that, or if I just do it once, it's like, oh, how about that other song? And it's like... Oh, yeah, you open it up. It's a, it's a rabbit hole. And then it gets really uncomfortable because I don't want to do it and everybody knows I don't want to do it. This happened once and it's never going to happen again, but... <laughs> I was just like, this isn't a talent show. Just, like, let's, let's hang out and enjoy each other's company. <laughs> Ugh. I've had this situation arise too with my parents where like my parents are super into it because they're really proud of their kid, but everyone else in the room is like, yeah, two was good. That, that's good enough. <laughs> and mom and dad would be like, do another one. And I can read the room and be like, mom, dad, nobody else wants to hear it. Like maybe after they leave, but this is getting weird. Let's stop. My dad was the only, and I think that's what the thing was with my dad too. He was just like, yeah, I think he was just like proud and I appreciate that. And it's like, Please, please. Let's just, Dad. Let's just break out the. Let's just break out the settlers of Catan and like, like have a night. Let's let's not do this. Nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Uh, yes, because what everybody wants to do in their time away from work is work. <laughs> yes. Everybody oh. look over here. Oh, this yeah. is, okay, so this actually relates to baseball too. When people find out that you're a baseball writer, oh my gosh. Like, I will make up other things that I do. If I'm meeting a stranger during the baseball season, what do you do? Uh, it's really, I work on computers. It's really boring. And I was just like, because if I say I'm a baseball writer, I've just spent 10 hours at the ballpark and they're like, oh, well, what do you think about this and this and this? I'm like, yeah, I just wrote a story about that. You can just go read it or I could rehash it here for you. Like, I just got off work. Just let me not. Like, can we just not talk about baseball, please? Dang. You could have told me earlier. I, I didn't have to ask no, you all those questions about baseball. It, honestly, in the off season, <laughs> this is different, right? Because it's a this is a, a podcast and you can't expect yeah, yeah. people not to talk about what you do in a podcast. <laughs> of course. And, yeah. and also it's the off season. So I don't. Like I'm, I'm right. I write about baseball because I genuinely enjoy the sport. And when it's the off season, like I don't mind talking about it. It's fun. It's just that's good. Yeah, it's such a grind during the season. There's a place for talking shop, and yeah. Do you think there's also a difference between talking shop with people that are also in baseball and just like anybody else in the world who like oh, is for just sure. okay? Gotcha. Because you probably enjoy it in the moment at work, but it's like okay, I know that you're not going to be able to offer anything. Like or and not not like that. That's a bad way to put it, but I don't know. It's kind of an accurate way to put it too. Really? Though. Okay. Like a casual. I mean, the casual fan. It's not like they're gonna surprise me with something, right? Yeah. Like, like talking to a six-year-old. <laughs> You're not gonna tell me anything I don't already know. Right, and I don't mean that to be arrogant or anything. I mean, there are times no, that, I, that I am surprised, and somebody comes up with something, and I go, "Huh, you know, I hadn't considered that." But by and large, like your casual fan that watches 30 games a year, is not gonna have some insight that you didn't glean from going to six weeks of spring training and then like being present for yeah. 130 of 162 games. Yeah, they'll mm. say something about Bryce Harper or somebody like on the f face of like baseball or like something like that. And they'll be like, oh, 330 million, huh? And it's like, okay, well, that's not anything that nobody has ever talked about generically. Yeah, what kind of conversation yeah. starts? That's like, yep, yeah. <laughs> it's a whole bunch. Yeah. Like, uh, do, you, do you want to talk about the money that the billionaire owners are making and how they're like artificially suppressing minor league wages and how like, yes, that's a huge paycheck, but really it's commensurate to the amount of profit that each team is making in baseball. Like, I don't think that's the conversation no. you really want to have. So maybe we just shouldn't. <laughs> Good stuff. That's interesting. Yes. But I'm so do jerk. you, I'm sorry guys. I'm no, just, you're fine. Kind of no. I'm kind of a jerk. No, no, baseball it's, no, it's I love it because I, well, I'm kind of curious, but okay. So you're, but if you're, the people that you, just the everyday person, you don't care about talking to about baseball. Yeah. But what if if you got a beer with a coworker, another writer, mm -hmm. or something like that after work, mm -hmm. would you want? Would you be interested in talking about baseball with that person? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that comes up. You okay. know, things that we didn't get a chance to really discuss. But like, I'm still the newest guy on the beat. So when I had those conversations, now I'm the one that's like drawing out information from these mm. experts and and i would like to think that i'm smart enough that i'm i don't know i'm not trying to turn it into like a, a reddit debate or anything at, <laughs> at the bar but but i you know we can have differing opinions and go back and forth and i think i learn from those conversations sure sure well, yeah um, you want to be engaging you know you don't yeah. want to be surface level knowledge my roommate and i have another podcast um uh, and we we talk a lot about like creativity and like art. He's an artist and I'm a music composer, sound designer mostly. And like we'll compare our, what we do and he's very much focused on like like the pure cre originality creativity side while and I'm kind of like focusing on blip sounds which is a little bit more like monetarily focused and it's interesting to like 
go back and forth with somebody about something like that and have differing opinions and perspectives and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like, that's just who we are, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I mean, people are interesting. And like, I don't want to sound like I'm consulting crystals to make decisions in life, but I have recently read a little bit about the Enneagram. And I think it's fascinating because, like, always before. Sorry, this is a bit of a left turn, but That's fine. hang yeah, with yeah. me. Go for it. Um, always before, like I hated those tests in high school that were like, take this test and we'll tell you what you're supposed to be. And it told me I was supposed to be like a train engineer, which, <laughs> okay. Um, or like the, oh, you're an INFJ or a MFPJ or whatever that whole oh, test yeah. was. Oh, I always hated those because awesome. the questions were always like, well, at this very moment, yeah, I I probably am going to answer A, but you know what? I remember a week ago where I probably felt C and... And I'm also very empathetic. So, if, you know, even though B is probably not something I would choose, that's that's a really valid point too. And so I, I hated them. Yes. And then my wife was like, hey, have you heard this podcast about the Enneagram? I think you should listen. And I'm like, okay, I'll listen. And I listened through and one, two, and three. I'm like, okay, this is, it's interesting, but I'm still not buying it. I think personality tests are stupid. And then they got to four and I'm driving to work. They got to four and I get halfway through four and I'm like, <laughs> like crying. I'm like, <laughs> Oh no, I feel seen. Somebody finally gets me. And <laughs> I'm in this photo and I don't like it. <laughs> exactly. And so uh, and so I read it more into that and, and it was great because it gave me an opportunity to um, A, not put people in a box, but if I see people behaving a certain way, go, oh, that's kind of an, a trait of an eight. And like, I I get where it allows me to be more empathetic and go, I see, I kind of understand why you're coming from that position. Um, So we can look at two different things. So eight, for a little bit of context, four is like the artist and wants wants to be original and wants everything to be unique and wants to be really known intimately and uh, has a real hard time keeping secrets about themselves because they're just like, well, here's me. Um, And eight, on the other hand, is more confrontational. Everything kind of has to be a fight and that's how they gear themselves up to get through the day it's like they gotta have something to fight against so if we come across a situation in a parking lot where two dudes are fighting i'm sort of coming up with this fake scenario off the top of my head a four might go oh my gosh let's get them separated and talking like where did this start let's try to find a way for reconciliation to happen let's figure out where the misunderstood uh, misunderstanding happened and try to prevent this from happening in the future guys and eight would be like Hell yeah, let's go break up a fight. Yeah, let's get him. You, you're dead wrong. Get out of here. You, you're also wrong. And here's why. Okay, well, the eight broke up the fight, right? Like the eight was very effective for what they needed to do. The four is probably going to take a little bit more of an analytical approach to prevent prevent it from happening in the future. Yeah. All of that to say, like with baseball writers, we can both look at the same situation and I'm approaching it from one perspective because of my life history and what I've been through and the way that, you know, perceiving things maybe through a little bit more of the eyes of an artist, somebody else is going to look at it through a more analytical point of view. And somebody else has been in baseball for 30 years and knows baseball people is going to be like, yeah, that's all well and good, but I'm telling you, I know people, he's going to do this. So those conversations are great with people who bring something to the table and baseball is like their life and they have some expertise about it. If you can bring something different and that can be the same you know, like you said, you're looking at music and creating art for the sake of commerce, maybe, if I'm understanding it correctly. Uh, I would say, well, it's. I, I think I wanted to take that back, actually, because okay. I don't think it's, it's not necessarily that. I think that it's like, 
I, I think it goes back to like it's something that I love and it's something that I would rather make money off of yeah. because I enjoy it and I can keep doing it long term. Like, cause I'm I'm making money by giving to other people basically, yeah. um, and that feels really nice to be able to like continuously do that long term, and then also have people like Chris or Brian or Josh or Mac or other people underneath Blip Sounds who I'm only contracting. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons, but it's not just like art for commerce. Okay. It's, it's deeper than yeah. that. I, I don't no, want to make it seem as shallow as it is because it's not. <laughs> no, that it's, makes sense. It's really not. That absolutely makes sense. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah. your perspective on a topic, whether that be even the, a song, like you can listen to a song and go, that's going to play. That is really cool, but it's probably not going to work for this. Whereas somebody else might yeah. be like, yeah, but that's what makes it original. I love that. I, I think that's what made the Beatles so great because you had this total artsy weirdo in John Lennon who was like, let's test the boundaries. Let's make the weirdest stuff we can imagine. Let's make it creative and new and bizarre and then you had somebody paul mccartney who had such an ear for melody and could make a hook that was mm. so catchy and you would get these two together and they would fight and they would fight and they, until they had rubbed off enough of the corners where it was this really original great piece of art that was also catchy and people That's would listen to and then you throw in george harrison who's a phenomenal guitarist and had a great ear on his own and then ringo just stayed out of the way that was his talent he knew how He's to stay a train out of the conductor. way like, and, and, and yeah, there we go. Back, back, there you go. Train he conductor. took that same so, test you did. It took me a second to catch up, but yeah. Uh, so, so I think that is phenomenal to be able to take those different points of view. And I, man, one of the most important talents that anyone can have is the ability to not get defensive. Because yes. if Paul had been like, no, that's too weird. Why are you attacking my. I know I'm good at melody. Yes. Why are you attacking me? And if Lennon had been like, I know what I'm doing is genius. Why don't, why don't you respect this art? You know, but to be able to, that's so interesting. And, and how that didn't happen, I guess it did. It well, did eventually. Well, yeah, I've heard a lot that it was like the fact that they got their relationships involved with it, but I don't think that's actually true. I think it's probably a buildup over time. Right. Could have been. I don't it's, know. It's, yeah, it's it's probably could have been all of it. Yeah. But so many of my favorite bands are that way. You've got like, Look at um, Radiohead, right? Tom York, total oh. weirdo. Yeah. Johnny Greenwood, really great musician. And you bring the two together, and for as long as they can work together, it's it's kind of magic. So, mm. so good. The ability to take those different perspectives and learn from them and, and recognize where your particular point of view is not, like where you need to assert your point of view and where you need to allow another point of view that works better for that particular thing to be what takes the lead. Yeah. Um, I mean, I see that in, in our marriage, like we've, this, this week, we had, just this morning, had a conversation about um, how we saw a situation differently. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I feel like I've learned so much by seeing this through your eyes and sort of, you know, back yeah. and forth. So it's, um, yeah, I, I think that probably translates to every walk of life, the ability to not be defensive. Oh, it's yeah. super important. A friend of mine is working on a new podcast that are gonna launch eventually and it's got all this production value and they're going to try to make a whole thing out of it but she's very very much like a monolith of objective statements where it's just like i'm going to make statements about how things are they don't have any implication into them and then the people that she's working with are very much like they're all just getting way too defensive it's all about oh that's just an attack on me and just like it's really tough to work through the fil you know, figuring out how to not filter everything as just like, well, I disagree with you does not mean that I think that you're an idiot or that I don't respect right. what you what you want. I just you know, there's just different perspectives here. And there's a lot mm. of 
And it just, I was telling her this morning, actually, we were talking about this, and I was like, every time I go through Wikipedia or something, and I look at a band that I like, and you see in the members list, there's like three people that were in this band and that left before the first album was cut. It's like, this is exactly it right here. This exact situation where you're trying to get something off the ground, and that's when you see the people who are losing sight of, you know, maybe this isn't, it's turning into something they didn't want it to be anymore, or they're getting yeah. too defensive and you just can't work with them without them just getting pouty and turning everything into something about them. And Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it is interesting for you to talk about it as if, like... Because I think that when somebody says, like, oh, um, there's this person in this podcast that is giving this very objective viewpoint on this thing, people are just like, oh, that person's a dick. Right. But actually, no, they're just giving their opinion and the other people in that podcast should also be giving that opinion as the same objective opinion. So we talked about... Um uh, creativity and melody. So here's something that, I, that I've been thinking about a lot lately that I think is a similar thing, but it is more universal than music is um, honesty and kindness, right? Like the ability to, if you lean too far towards honest, you become Simon Cowell and maybe you're right, but nobody wants to hear it and everybody loves to hate you because you're a jerk. And then on the other side, there's kindness, but if you're all kindness with no honesty, there's no there's no weight to your opinion. You You're just saying what people yeah. want to hear. Mm-hmm. And so the ability to speak honesty in a way that also exudes, I genuinely care about you as a person. I'm saying this because I think it's going to make you better. And I think in making you better, I'm going to, we're going to make us all better. So do you think that's an but, execution in like per, a conveyance thing then for like somebody yeah, to I say think, that, like have an objective opinion on it something? It can be, but at the same time, like, you're responsible for how you feel about what someone tells you or just be from more from the first person perspective everybody else is responsible for how they feel about what you say you are that's a good point yeah for sure but you are going to but there are ways for you to make better results yeah 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 Yeah. and and i don't think you can necessarily right i don't think you can necessarily do that as well with a stranger i think a lot of that is building up the relationship Mm -hmm. ahead of time and in situations where you don't have anything to gain and you're not manipulating somebody to come around to your point of view, you're just genuinely investing in them as a person. People that do that to me are the people that I'm going to be more likely to listen to when it comes time for me to need to hear something hard. Mm-hmm. I will know, okay, well, I know this person cares about me. So even if we end up disagreeing, even if I don't take the advice, I'm going to listen. I'm going to hear what the advice is. I'm going to wrestle with it and give it credibility, mm-hmm. right? And I think credibility is bought ahead of time, generally speaking. That's interesting. Huh. I love oh these God. deep conversations so much. Yeah. <laughs> we're having like our seven minute uh-huh. pause here where we all just stop and like process everything we've just yeah. Yeah, heard yeah. and said. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. So cool. Uh, takeaways. Um, a lot of like creativity and how to approach yourself and how to live your life and how to I, I don't know I'm, I'm learning a lot this is a great this, this has been great conversations that's good because I'm not 100% sure I gave you guys anything that was worth anything at all oh, I just certainly sort of talked, so no yeah I, that's, well, I thought it was great because yeah. I I love I basically what Chris was saying was the problem with another podcast that he his friend is running like and like you were saying Levi about or uh, Le- Levi what? sorry it's so strange wanna... that you want to say that word because that's know, nobody's I name know. <laughs> I know you know what I always used to get upset when people would pronounce my name that way. And then, so my dad was a preacher. He named me Levi after the tribe of Levi in the Bible. They were like the priestly tribe or whatever. I went to Israel in 2015. I was playing some shows there and I got there and the guy at customs looked at my ID and was like, 
Levy, this is a common name here. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been saying my own name wrong. <laughs> That's fantastic. The jeans company is wrong. We're all wrong. <laughs> so I don't care. Whatever you want to call me now, it's fine. Cool. Okay. Well, uh, Levi, um, <laughs> the, the the way that we're all talking to each other too about like, we're all giving like our experiences and opinions and mm-hmm. all this stuff on like how to grow. And like when you read a book, it's all things that you've heard before, but it's just a different perspective usually on how you approach it for a lot of parts. Anyways, if you're, if it's like a self-help book, at least, or it's something that like grows your mind to like be a better person. Yeah. Like I, when I talk with Chris, at least like him and I go like really deep and nitty gritty on certain conversations about certain things because it's because there is depth to it and there are different perspectives and like just saying like creativity is so broad that you can talk about a million different parts about what creativity actually means. Mm-hmm. And I guess and I think that what a lot of the points that we brought up here are it's just like there's so many things that you can gather that just like you you can just use this as a piece of the puzzle to help yourself that's like my blanket way of saying what like (laughs) talking about deep stuff like this is it's awesome to me i had a conversation with my roommate just last night for like two and a half hours staying up to like 4 a.m talking about how i prefer to work on longer term projects because i Mm -hmm. get to explore those things very intensely while he prefers like the the one-on-one time that he has with the craft and the time that he experiences during that. And it's like, I'm, I'm getting a lot of this lately and I like it. That's all. <laughs> yeah. And I, thanks for having me on yeah. also, because like, I don't get to have these conversations as much anymore. Usually these are honestly like about baseball and you can only <laughs> have so many of those and stay sane. And so the ability to like have conversations that are about, I mean, we only talked about baseball in so much as we were talking about it as a jumping off point. Yes, it's a vessel for friends. Yeah. Something that creativity gets aimed at, right? Yeah. So like more talking about like life and um, and exploring topics that I hadn't really sometimes you think you know things, but you don't really ever say them out loud and then be like, Oh yeah, I actually believe that. So you know, talking talking through things is helpful. Again, just even just like getting out of your own head to like share an idea and like just like John and Paul did. You're, you're sharpening the sword to make it stronger. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, anytime you want to come back, like this, these conversations are awesome. And I think that okay. you seem to have a lot of cool insight and ideas on all that stuff. So really appreciate the uh, I'll, conversation. I'll, I'll get my stand-up routine put together and we'll just like test to, test all of these out on each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, That'll be perfect. Okay, I'm down. I'm down. We'll, we'll do that. And then we'll put it into an interview and people on the Game Audio training series will be like, why? It would be terrible. <laughs> and here's how I know it would be terrible. Have you ever listened to stand-up comedy on like XM radio? Yes. Okay. So you know how sometimes I used to listen to a bunch of it when I was on the road and I would listen some guys, it, it would be the same jokes. And I'd be like, Oh, he's bombing. Why does it sound like he's bombing? And then I realized there was no crowd mic on. And oh. So if you're just listening to audio and you hear somebody tell a joke, but you don't hear the crowd respond, it's so gut wrenchingly awkward. Oh you're like, boy. Oh, everybody hates it. So if we were to do that, we would need a laugh track or something because we would need to like hear the crowd responds. Otherwise we're just telling jokes. What, and like what, two we, guys what we would have to do is that we would each have five levels of laugh track that we throw at what <laughs> other people tell. And then yes. it's like this one, ah, oh, that's two or three people chuckling at something they don't understand. And <laughs> yeah, yes, the snaps. I think that we should, in addition to those five levels though, we should also get a nope card or a nope button. So like if Chris were to give like, a level five laughter at Vito. I could be like, nope, not funny enough. <laughs> I think that would be a level six, which would just be boo like, hiss. Boo. boo hiss. 
Boo. And then we could deal cool. with our uh, responses to hecklers. This is, this yes. is like, coming together really nicely. I agreed. And the hecklers will be the people in the game audio training series being like, why do we have... Why are we getting stand-up tips from a baseball writer in our game audio group? <laughs> <laughs> it's like three levels exactly. removed from relevance. It's actually amazing how much we've talked about baseball and the podcast so far. Like, and now you're here. It's like, oh, guys, we got yeah, a like, within the <laughs> first three minutes of writer. our first episode, <laughs> we were doing like Vince Scully impressions and stuff. And it's like, it's like I don't even like baseball. Why am I doing this? That's all. Yeah, because I'm a huge Hank Azaria fan. <laughs> it wasn't even me. Chris hates baseball. I do. Chris, what's your Vince Scully impersonation? Let's hear nope, it. Nope, not today. I'll do an Ernie Johnson. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Uh, well, never mind. You do. I'll do I'll do Walter Winchell. <laughs> Walter Winchell, wow, wow. Uh, yeah, okay. how's that for a reverence? <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. I'm in. A, I'm over my death now, and I'm intimidated, and so I think now's a good time to uh, just say goodbye. I yeah, have yeah. A, cool. an unacceptable <laughs> amount of knowledge from 1930 to 1960 about just nonsense. Like, <laughs> why? I don't what? know, man. I love all that shit. Chris, what's wrong I was with you? <laughs> huge, I was such a huge like. Three Stooges fan forever, and it just... I oh, watched, of course like, you are, yeah. Well, I love Lucy and all the stuff from way back. Like, it just... I don't know. I get buried in that. I have such a... I'm such a huge Cold War buff that it just kind of comes with the territory. You know, things that happen in the 50s. What do you want? Cr- what? I was, I was gonna... <laughs> 85? You're basically like a step be- behind John Mulaney in like terms of like where you belong in like the history of the past hundred years. I know it's nonsense. <laughs> you're like you're basically like like a decade behind John Mulaney or like ahead of him, something like that, depending on where you want to put him. <laughs> yeah, my VO coach, uh, he's 80 years old, and sometimes we talk about things in the 30s, and it's like, why am I talking to a man 50 years older than me about something like this? All you need is a cigarette and a fedora, and you'll all be ready to go. He does a great Jack Benny impression, and everybody else is like, who? <laughs> I'm like, do it again. <laughs> well, oh, I think we're, we're probably going to wrap this up here. We have um, derailed. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. No, no, this, is, this yes. is definitely like the, let's get stupid now because we just thought too hard. So it's, you're not even a good trained conductor. Right. Yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> that, that was a good was, joke. Was, I don't want to hear anything else. <laughs> I think we should end it there. Uh, Levi, is there anything that you want to like share, promote, or like anything that plug. you want to plug? Whatever. Uh, no. Are you ever going to do music again? Yeah, I'm going to do one show, actually. So that's the reason that I, I was going to ask my, you about that show. That's the reason that I pulled my guitar out of storage is uh, January 24th in Dallas. I'm playing cool. one show. Uh, the, We're going to be in San Antonio right around that, actually. Okay, it's not that far. Hey, it's that's like true. a three and a half hour drive. That can be fun. That's a that's very Texas by, thing to by say. By Texas standards, that's pretty close. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say. Basically neighbors. Um, yeah, it's the, the profits of it are going to... That's good sentence structure. All of the profits from the show are going <laughs> well, to... Well, you uh, said that, and I was thinking, like, like the profits of the Bible? Like, yeah, no. <laughs> all, all profits from the show <laughs> will go to uh, refugee <laughs> services of Texas. So it's, okay. uh, it's going to mm. be a, a show for good. charity, and I will hopefully not be... I mean, I'm definitely super rusty but i'm practicing all off season so hopefully i'll be back to awesome like at least 80 percent of where i was before that's my i just if i can just get to 80 percent. do you have do you have the off season off <laughs> kind of okay. i don't have to spend 10 hours a day at the ballpark i still have to write articles but i can do it from home kind of in my spare time which is nice cool so that's awesome so you get like a do you get like a media pass too and all that for like rangers games and stuff or that's yeah cool. i'm at i'm at all of the home games and probably half of the road games wow that's awesome Chris and I actually, I was in Seattle three times this year, and every time Chris and I, like a week or two after, be like, 
oh shoot, we forgot. We were gonna get together. We were together. supposed to hang out. And then, yeah, yeah. yeah I would time. say, and then what was it, two months it ago, we remembered for the first time in five years that we had each other's phone number. <laughs> we don't yeah. have to talk over Twitter DMs. That's, that was actually me and Chris yeah. until like a, a month ago. Like, we talked only over Discord and Hangouts, and yeah, here we are. <laughs> I use Hangouts all day, though. I'm an exceptional friend, just, you know, super good at remembering. I'm glad you think of me as a friend. That's just, that's great. That's fine. <laughs> I think no matter what level of, like, uh, closeness or knowledge you have of somebody like if you've known somebody for 10 years and you're still in touch you're friends i'm sorry yeah. that's yep. just pretty much yeah we're your common law friends at that no matter point. how much you yep. hate each other <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect that's yeah. perfect yes exactly that there's some real truth to that i've got several people in my life who are grandfathered in at about 25 <laughs> years now and i'll never get rid of them despite the fact that i would like to <laughs> yeah i mean if you've stuck around that's that several, long. a couple yeah cool. a couple people well yeah, thanks again, Levi. Right. Appreciate it. Um, we'll of hopefully course. get to see your show, and anybody who's in Dallas, go see his show too. Yes, do that. You won't regret doing that. You guys have like a lot of listenership. In uh, Dallas? We do have people like we just have a lot of people in the UK. Um, we have a lot of people. That's not, not Dallas. We have a lot of people Dallas. in the UK. We have a lot of people <laughs> in uh, Florida, and I think we do have some people in Texas. Actually, waiting for you to say Dallas. <laughs> do you have listeners in Dallas? Oh yeah, we get a lot of listeners in the UK. Let me tell you about all the other places people live. <laughs> uh, Any minute now, we'll actually stop this. To answer your question, <laughs> I no. think the real answer to that is it's unknowable at this uh, point. Okay. All right. All right. We're going to end this now before it gets. All right. We'll see you guys. Anyways, thanks for joining, Levi. See ya. And uh, yeah, appreciate right, you joining. Catch you guys later. <laughs> what was that shit? Yeah, I don't know. I just do that. My face requires that on occasion. <laughs>